Welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Most of our listeners will be very familiar with the term B2B and B2C. Well, today we're talking about a term that I'm a huge fan of and I think is the future of business success, particularly in this digital age, H2H or human to human. There's been endless studies now, although some business dinosaurs may think it's a new concept, that emotional intelligence ranks much higher than IQ. EQ separates great leaders from the pack. Today's show is made possible by our friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. Now, a key element to any human-to-human, particularly in business, is the power of real confidence. Our first guest is a sought-after speaker, author and award-winning coach. She has helped thousands of senior leaders and their teams learn to show up as the best version of themselves, I love that, to build their confidence and influence others. I'd like to give a very warm welcome to the show, Michelle Sales. Hi, Jackie. Hello, great to have you here. Now, this is a topic that I'm really fascinated about, and I think it's a really key one, uh, particularly in this digital age that there has been such a focus on the importance of communication and relationships. Uh, and in, uh, and you talk about bouts of insecurity, that we've all had bouts of insecurity in the work environment. So how can we best deal with these moments when we're having those moments or imposter syndromes and other popular topic of that so how can we best deal with those moments yeah it's really important and confidence is so critical to us all and no matter what we're doing the best thing I love about confidence Jackie is that it's not something that you're either born with or not so it's very much a learnable skill and that's just I reckon so empowering about confidence Mm, Uh, but you know it does wax and wane for all of us and so you know we've can sometimes feel like we're on a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, so, really having an awareness of when we are at our best and what is contributing to that, what's giving us confidence, because it is different for all of us. But the starting point is really having a good sense of awareness about when our confidence is higher or when, when is it lower and we need to boost it. Yeah, so if we're in a meeting or we're, we're pitching for business or there's some sort of business interaction, and we can sort of ha- have that awareness and then sense that lack of confidence is starting to overwhelm your performance. Are there any tips or tricks that, that we can use, any sort of uh, mental sayings or self-talk that would help us? Yeah, I like how you say self-talk because I think that's one of the really key aspects of it because we have uh, on average 65,000 thoughts a day, which is massive. And if that, if our self-talk is negative or critical, too critical, or, or we're spending t- time comparing ourselves to other people and always finding us lacking, then we can go spiral downwards quite quickly. So catching ourselves, being really aware of that self-talk, reframing, and reframing to what we're good at. So... Rather than trying to work on improving all the things that we don't do so well, really just thinking about what are my strengths, what do I know that I do well, what gives us, what gives me energy, and then doing that. So, you know, if it's in the middle of a meeting, for example, um, think about how do I contribute in this meeting. What do I know? How can I do that? Think about your language so that you're not apologising and saying sorry before you even start speaking. 
um, all of those things are really important. I think that's a really good tip to not say sorry or draw attention to your weaknesses. Uh, you know, really focusing on what's strong, not what's wrong with you, I think is, is a really key bit. And I, I like this, this sort of self-awareness of your thoughts. So it's like you become a thought detective and monitoring your own thoughts and then having, I suppose, a script or some inspiration in place that self-talk to talk yourself out of it. Is that sort of where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I go, yes, I can, I can tell. I love it too. Now, (laughs) the thing is, I, I, I spend a lot of time with women in business and, uh, and I often get a lot of people chatting to me, particularly business, um, women networking groups and leaders saying that for their business women, confidence always comes up as their biggest challenge. Have you noticed any gender related, uh, uh, issues with that from from a confidence perspective? I have, and I run um, a number of women's leadership programs and obviously the same as you, network with lots of women. So I think it's... Uh, I, so the short answer is yes, I do notice it. Mm. And I think there's a whole load of reasons for that. You know, stereotypes, the role that... Um, women feel that we've had to play at work over many years, particularly women who work in very male-dominated environments and, you know, for just about their whole career they've looked up and haven't had female role models, uh, have thought this is what it's for me to be successful here and therefore perhaps have to show up in a way that's not really being true to themselves Mm -hmm. and then every message they get kind of, you know, they're, they're comparing themselves to that and finding themselves lacking. So confidence, I notice with women, particularly women in senior roles, kind of is chipped away at over many years. So how do we turn that around? How can we actually, I suppose, promote or instill a bit more confidence in, in business women? Um, so understanding who you are and being true to that. So the real confidence you talked about at the beginning, the real is actually being really genuine and authentic about you know who you are, what do you value, what's important to you in life. Um, if it's about speaking up for women, sometimes um, what I notice with women more than men is um, we hide our voice or are quieter in different forums uh, because we are trying to avoid conflict or we have a fear of being judged. Mm. Um, so being able to experiment with finding your voice in different situations and having people that support you and can offer you good feedback, all of those things really help, as well as having finding some really good role models that we can look up to. I love that um, Madeleine Albright quote, you can't be what you can't see, and that's really mm. for women. You know, if we if we can't... If we don't have good role models that we can see that this is what it's going to take to be more confident or to speak up or to stand up for yourself, then that's hard. Yeah, well, um, our, our brain as humans, we're wonderful pattern matches and we're looking for patterns. And so we, we need those role models. We need to be taught this is how you do it, but also from people that 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 you can relate to. So as much as Oprah is wonderful uh, and a great role model, Hillary Clinton, uh, and there's some great ones, uh, you know, plenty around the world, plenty of women around the world, sometimes they can feel a little bit out of reach. So it's nice to actually look at someone and go, you know what, I can relate to them and they can do it, so maybe I'll, I might give it a go. Is that your experience? Have you noticed that? 
absolutely they're relatable. And I love that where you started in this program, Human to Human, uh, because it, it is absolutely rela- relatable, able to connect to, um, able to kind of not not see the things that you have to do to boost your confidence, even as being out of reach. In fact, I talk about uh, boosting or building confidence like building muscles, and we don't go to the gym and just start lifting 80 kilo hoops when we go to the gym, or I don't anyway. Uh, we, we actually start with smaller weights and we build up to it, and confidence is the same. We don't have to jump so far outside of our comfort zone to build confidence. The smaller... Um, more actions that we take every day to boost confidence is actually much more sustainable for us and that includes having role models that we can feel like we can connect to and see what those small actions are. Yeah, and I think I think confidence has got a, a bad brand image if I was to go down that path. I think when you start saying, you know, you need to build your confidence, you need to be more confident. A lot of people then think, oh, but that sounds like I am love myself or I'm promoting myself too heavily. And, of course, we all know in Australian culture this tall poppy syndrome. And I've seen a lot of uh, business people, men and women, learn a lot of stuff from the US, of course, that they're a leader in so many fields in business. And then they bring that format or the concept back into Australia and try to repackage it. But it doesn't work because it's sort of selling, not telling, I suppose, in a way, and it's too hard for our culture. So what what can we do to overcome that fear of tall poppy, I suppose? Yeah, and I I think I, I really like what you say. And I think the other thing that I also think is in line with that is the fake it till you make it. I think, you know, sometimes we have to do that in the moment, but it only gets us so far for so long and it can be exhausting if we're faking it. So there's that element and then there's the overdone confidence that we feel. Like, you know, us Aussies, you know, we kind of can see through that pretty quickly. So if you're not being genuine and authentic about yourself and how we show up, then, you know, we see through that. So I think that having that starting point, like I said, of understanding who we are, who we really are, what we value and what we're about and what's important to us and then building the confidence to, you know, through understanding our strengths and our self-talk, all of those things that we've talked about, when we use that as the starting point and build the confidence from the inside out rather than looking at, okay, this is either a program, this is what I've been taught, this is um, a role model that perhaps is unattainable, perhaps thinking if I just behave like that, then that'll be what I need to do. If we really build it from the inside out, then it's much more likely to be genuine and authentic and um, received well by those around us. Yeah, uh, one of my techniques, which doesn't always work, I have to say, uh, but, uh, you know, if someone asks me, can you do this? And, and I know what I can and can't do. I'm, I'm highly aware of my capabilities most of the time. And, and I'll say, yep, I'm, I can do that and I'm really good at it and I've done it a thousand times before and this and this is, I know this works. But what I do is balance it with, but I can't do this. You know, I'm no good at this. And so I suppose it's just a, that balance of, yes, I'm really good at this, but I'm really bad at that. And uh, and I suppose that just sort of balances out the conversation and, and you know, causes a few people to laugh as well, which sort of eases a little bit of that strain. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think, you know, saying yes to things is is part of that, actually putting yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. 
as well. But what I also um, hear from what you're saying there is being able to be vulnerable about, you know, what we're not so good at and that authenticity and realness in in confidence. Um, When we can bring vulnerability to that, then I think that just makes it all all the more real. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, uh, making fun of yourself. I always say I make fun of myself before I give other people a chance to to, to do that. And that's Mm -hmm. that really authentic, uh, relatable human side of it. Now, you've put all these thoughts into a book, and I'm holding it in my little hand now, The Power of Real Confidence, Learn How to Lead to Your Full Potential. And I love this. Step up, stand up, speak up, show up. Is this your first book, Michelle? It is my first book. Well, congratulations! It's enormous achievement, Uh, and and I and I had a I've had a I haven't had a good read, but I've had enough a read to get a sense of it, and I love all the the bits in it and the the bits about confidence. There's some really good practical tips and tricks of what to do, and one of the ones I love was the confidence barometer. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's um. Because confidence waxes and wanes for us through our life, it's important that we have practices, I suppose, or disciplines that we're able to just reflect from time to time on where our confidence is at. Because when it's low, we know that we can make limiting choices. You know, we might not say yes to that project or that new job opportunity because we're just thinking that we're not quite ready for it. Um, we might not. We might, you know, try to over over perfect our work because it's not quite right yet. So, being able to step back and reflect on where is my confidence at? If it's high, then or if I'm feeling really good, then what is it? What are some of the things that's contributed to that? If it's low, then what's going on for me? So, rather than you know, be six months down the track and you've had six months of feeling um, like your confidence is really low and you've been beating yourself up and making limiting choices, being able to catch yourself and assess where you're at and go, okay, what do I need to do about this? And what I liked about it the most was confidence, I think, is talked about. It's almost all or nothing. You're either confident or you're not confident. And I loved the fact that you looked at it like a barometer, that that it, that it is fluid, that it can be up and down. And you can have some days, it's like anything. You know, you have some days where you're feeling good, other days you don't feel like you're on your game, whatever it is. But And confidence comes under that. And I love the fact you've said here, confidence is really in a complete level state, no matter how hard we try to sustain our behavioural changes. And I think acknowledging that, accepting that and then coming up with some, I suppose, using having a toolbox that you can actually then use for days that you're either feeling good or feeling bad. Yeah, totally. And when before I started writing the book, because I didn't actually think I would write a how to book, you know, how do you go about yeah. um, building confidence? Yeah. But I talked to most of my clients and many people who I've been working with over a long period of time and I really got a very strong sense from them that it's not just what is confidence, what does it mean, why is it important, but actually what do you do about it? Mm. How do you actually build confidence? How do you sustain confidence? How do you do that in an authentic way? So it was the how-to that was missing from a lot of this work. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's really good. And it leads into, and I just wanted to very quickly 
touch on, I noticed you're currently studying positive psychology at the moment, which is a, a real recent movement. I think it was 1998 or late 90s. Martin Seligman, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, and anyone who's wanting to know a bit more about positive psychology can see Seligman's work and a few other uh, outstanding thought leaders that he's collaborated with. And there's some wonderful uh, information available on positive psychology. Uh, what is... What led you to go down that path, Michelle? I love, um, yeah, I love his work as well, but I, I really love the overarching philosophy with positive psych around you get much better bang for your buck when you focus on your strengths rather than your weaknesses. Mm. Um, so I loved that. And it was, if I can just tell you a little story about uh, me in the writing of the book, because I didn't particularly... Want, want to write. Uh, English has never been that great. It wasn't my best subject. I didn't, you know, love it at school. And uh, I was about a third of the way through the writing and I did a strength profile for mm. myself. I was doing some work with clients and writing came up as a weakness. And I thought, and I struggled, you know, I, I set Fridays aside for writing and I did Pilates in the morning then went for coffee and then I get to the afternoon and think oh I don't really want to write mm. so it wasn't a surprise it came up as a weakness but I had narrator come up as a unrealized strength and so I just took a totally different approach to the writing of the book where I told stories at the start of each chapter and it really got me into the flow of writing so you know that to me that's the whole philosophy of positive psychology L really understand uh, what are your strengths and what are you great at? And if you start with that and leverage that, then we can do the same work but in a much better way. That, that I love it. Storytelling. I've, I've got someone on um, a bit later on the program talking about the power of storytelling. And uh, so thank you for that lovely little segue into our probably our next guest after you. But Michelle Sale's book, The Power of Real Confidence, Learn How to Lead to Your Full Potential. It's a great read. Congratulations on your first book. It's a great achievement and very clever the way that you put it together. Now, anyone listening would like to know a bit more about Michelle. She's on Twitter. She's on LinkedIn, she's on Facebook and michellesales.com.au all easy Thanks Jackie, Terrific. great talking to you Lovely talking to you, thank you Michelle You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Adult PFM We'll be right back after this Welcome back to Taking Care of Business to our human to human show today, that of course was only human Our next guest works with teams globally with the likes of Amazon, Pepsi and McDonald's, just to name a few, to discover and implement ways to make our workplaces more human and has written a book aptly titled How to Speak Human. Welcome to the show, Jen Jackson. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Now, let's start right from the obvious uh, start, I suppose, or the obvious question. How do you get the best from humans that you work with? Oh, well, I mean, it's a, that's a big one to open, mm. but um, to, to give the really short answer, I think it's to acknowledge and to treat them as humans rather than as uh, cogs in a system or uh, uh, resources to be used up and spat uh, out the other end. So, yeah, start by acknowledging that wonderful fleshy bag of meat and bones and emotions that we call human beings and work out how best to talk to them. 
Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think that's a really good answer. So with, with the rise of the digital age, I've found that with this rise of technology uh, and the digital environment that we're now living in or, you know, trying to navigate, uh, I think it's actually refocused the importance of human-to-human relationships. What's your view? Yeah, I, I, I really agree with that and that we've never been more connected but disconnected um, from each other at the same time. Uh, I think everyone's probably got that story of being out to dinner or having friends over and you look around and suddenly realise that you're connected to technology but not necessarily to each other and, um, you know, people are already implementing those leave your phone at the door sort of rules when you are interacting with other humans. But, um, yeah, as a, as a reaction to that, um, there is a movement um, about bringing more human back, which is really great to see. Um, but I think there's also a little bit of the, the lost art of how we actually do it. Yeah, now, is it an art? or is it, Do you think it's an art or do you think uh, that we're born like that? Is it a survival thing? Is it something that we've, mm. that we've uh, got ingrained in us and that we just need oh, to tap yeah. back into? Yeah, yeah, great question. I think it's, I mean, we're all born with it. We are all humans and uh, it should come as natural as nudity in nature, um, which isn't always uh, necessarily looked upon with favour. But um, I think what's happened is that because of our education systems and then we go through you know, uni and then we step into our jobs and we take on all the norms and the rituals and the, the culture that's there and and that way of, of communicating in a less than human way, in a more transactional way, um, is, is something that we learn. So I think there's art in that we have to uh, relearn some of those skills and how to get back there and uh, be given the permission to act in that way as well. Yeah, do you think uh, from your experience, do you think more people are starting to pick up the phone? And do you think they're more they're having more coffee meetings? I'm I'm seeing this rise in the coffee meetings. You know, let's go and have a coffee and let's have a chat rather than send an email or. Uh, oh, who doesn't love a coffee? Well, that's true. I mean, I don't. I think people are starting to go. You know, well, let's let's do the face to face thing. You know, let's mm. do, get some emails maybe to start with, and then we go face to face. But then time's always an issue. So I think, but there are ways that we can save time. I don't know. What's your view? Mm. Yeah, I I don't know if I've seen a trend towards that. I think there's still a lot of the companies that we work with where, you know, because of um, being so global and and having teams that are spread out across the world that it is really difficult to have those face-to-face. But what we are finding is that uh, those big occasions throughout the year where everyone might get brought together for a conference or a summit or, or a workshop or a think tank are even more important because they do allow people to connect in that face-to-face way um, but then get supported through technology um, through other parts of the year uh, with you know, conferencing and video conferencing and, and phone calls. But there, there isn't anything like a, a face-to-face chat with somebody where you do have that connection, the power of touch, even a shaking of hand or a high-five, um, as long as it's appropriate touch, um, <laughs> is a great way to uh, build connections a whole lot faster with people. Yeah, well, I've certainly seen a rise in the growth of networking. 
I've seen a rise in conferences. So there was, you know, if even five years ago, webinars was the thing. You know, everyone's doing it was Skype, now Zoom. Uh, but then I'm saying the last sort of 12 months, 18 months, I've certainly seen a rise in the amount of conferences and people going and taking the time out to do that. Uh, and so, which is, I think, really, really hopeful. I think that's a really positive, and you called it a movement. I hadn't thought of it like that, but I think it is a movement. I, I really like that you've done that. Now, how is confidence related to that? Earlier on, our first guest on the show today was, I don't know if you know her, Michelle Sales, and she's just written a book called The Power of Real Confidence and how important confidence is and how powerful it is when you actually, particularly in business, speaking human to human. What's your uh, opinion on that? Mm, I think for for leaders having the confidence to um, be able to engage with with somebody else using those human skills, your confidence, it has to be a part of it. Um, But I think inherently anyone anyone should be able to do it if uh, we just remember those fundamentals of what makes us tick and what makes us connect. So things like communicating with purpose, um, considering empathy, um, being authentically true to yourself is going to... Um, yeah, that's, that's the way forward rather than, um, I guess, pumping yourself up and, and being sure that you can do it. I, I think how to speak human and, and speaking more human is probably just getting back to who we are, really. Yeah, we've lost sight of that a little bit. I must admit, on the front of your book, there was something that grabbed my attention and actually was the word attention. I think it's the most, <laughs> um, and I write a bit about this, It's I think it's the most undervalued resource in business. Engagement gets far too much attention, where the actual concept of attention itself, you've got to get someone's attention before you can do anything else. And I notice yeah. you've got attention, engagement and influence, which I quite like that order. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how we can go about getting people's attention. Mm, yeah, well, it's such an important one, and I think you hit the nail on the head that it is the most important um, resource to consider. And, and like time and like you know, money, it should be used wisely and uh, should be considered when we are developing strategies and initiatives that we're, we're trying to get out there. Um, how do we get attention in this incredibly noisy, busy world where everyone's competing for it. Um, so how do we get attention? Well, we've got to wake people up. <laughs> we've got to use all those wonderful human skills to and those um, human tactics uh, to break through and to cut through. So you know, often some of the things that we write about in the book, you can use curiosity to get attention. You can use surprise to break the mundane of the everyday and throw something in that makes people take attention and then once you've got that attention, then what do you do with it? You use visual to, to get people's attention. I don't know if you've um, come across a uh, like an infographic or something as a way of communicating, say, safety um, scores back to the rest of the business. If we present them using a visual, we're going to have far more uptake and understanding and retention than if we were to use, say, um, a spreadsheet or a desk by PowerPoint. 
Yes, <laughs> too much text. Our, our visual, <laughs> our visual side of our brain is so dominant, and it's something that we need to um, be using a lot more of that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now, touching on curiosity, I've always got. I'm cu- always curious about curiosity. Of course, I was curious. In your book, you have 11 pro- proven strategies, 23 tactics, and 15 real world examples. I have to firstly ask, how did you come up with those numbers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious though. Um, Well, what was interesting, we were really adamant that when we wrote this book, we weren't going to make it fit into a nice little box. We were going to write what was needed, no more and no less. So I think sometimes when um, authors are writing a book, they go, okay, it needs to be split across three sections and it's going to have six chapters in each and, um, and that's my framework. Uh, we wanted to approach it a bit more holistically and go, okay, what do we actually want to say? And then at the end of it, that's just what the numbers were. That was that out. Okay, <laughs> so all right. No great strategy. Right, okay. So there's no pattern. I know that we're no. humans are terrific pattern matches and uh, I proved that I was going, what are those numbers for then? <laughs> so 11 proven strategies, it. 23 takes, that's good. 15 real world examples. And I really like the examples because it's all very well. We can talk strategies and tactics, but to mm. bring it back to a story uh, that we can actually relate to, I think, is is really important. And the other bit I liked, you mentioned, was the importance of simplicity. We do tend to overcomplicate things when we when we don't need to. Yeah, and I think you've just said the right word there. Is that it is complication that we're not looking for, mm. um, and that sometimes that gets confused with complexity. Whereas um, complexity is beautiful, complexity is life, complexity is human. Uh, but it doesn't need to come at the expense of, of simplicity. So uh, we can always take something that's complex and through great communication, we can develop um, enough understanding with somebody else to get them to a point where they either want to learn more or they know enough to know to do what they have to do. Yeah, well, uh, congratulations. And also congratulations because you actually co-authored this book with your husband, Dougal. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's probably another conversation that uh, I'll just, if you can put that on hold, we'll have to have you back another time because I think uh, that that's a, a real achievement. Uh, and I, I think it's a great practical approach to uh, any communication challenge that businesses have. Uh, it's a really good place to start. So How to Speak Human by Jackson & Jackson, available where all books are sold. And if people want to find out a bit more about the work that you do, Jen, and the work that Dougal does. I assume that you are on LinkedIn. And uh, any what other mm-hmm. social media channels are you? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best one for us. Otherwise, you can uh, jump on and check us out at www.jaxzyn.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Jen Jackson. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bye. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We are trying to improve how to speak human. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We're talking about human to human today, and that, of course, was human nature. And we've discussed how to speak human. We've talked about the role of confidence. And our next guest is going to complete this important business trifecta by not forgetting the customer or client experience. He is the highest performing speaker with the CEO Institute on Customer Experience and Culture. And he joins us today to talk about the client revolution. Welcome, Daryl Hardidge. 
Thank you, Jackie. How are you? Really good. Good speaking with you. Now, I loved this concept that you talk about, this new measurement of service value. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, most of the things in business are geared towards customer satisfaction. And even when you talk to a lot of businesses, they'll say they have a high focus on service excellence. But if you ask them how do they measure that to know they're on track, they'll talk about satisfaction. The challenge with satisfaction is that it's basically just giving people what they expect and what they want. Mm. And you've, in this market, you've got to go beyond just giving people what they're paying for because as a minimum, we should always get what we expect. And that's really what satisfaction is measured against. Yeah, no, I, I love the story. You tell a story about a billboard. Share that with us. Well, yeah, it was, recently I was driving down the freeway and they had, uh, I can't even remember the company, it didn't interest me that much, but it was more the catch line, you'll be 100% satisfied. Mm. And I was, I was saying to my wife, who's reading the billboard, I said, well, here's my first question, as opposed to what? 80% satisfied? 85? <laughs> so 100% satisfaction guarantee is basically saying, and this is the craziness of it, is basically me saying to you, Jackie, you spend $10,000 with me on a bathroom renovation, and I'll guarantee that you'll get what you expect. Yeah, big deal. Big deal, exactly, <laughs> big deal. Yeah, so, and that satisfaction, it's so, it's such a basic low-level expectation. And so I think, you know, we talked about this concept of customer delight, but you talk about customer appreciation. I think that word is so much more emotional and so much more connected with what customers want to feel. Yes. Well, there is a real... Going back quickly to satisfaction. Satisfaction is it's it's something that you assess left brain. It's like I got what I wanted, tick the boxes, and it's sort of short term memory as well. Because there's so many businesses we transact with, and, and I often say to people, you know, if you look at your credit card statement, can you remember everywhere you went? And very few people can, mm. and yet you spend a whole lot of money there because you just had this short term memory experience. The one thing that we've learned from all the research we've done is that when you go above the standard of 8 out of 10 service experience, which is what satisfaction is, and you deliver that really fabulous 10 out of 10 experience, you then go into this whole new realm of engagement with your customers, and that's where they truly appreciate the effort and the service and the time you've taken, and it's a heart connection, and it goes into long-term memory. So if you think of your own uh, habits, there'll be businesses that you are very, very loyal to, and the ones that we tend to find we're loyal to. It's not about the price. It's In fact, usually we pay more for those businesses. It's because of how we connect with them. How we, They know our names. They remember us. There's a spark in their eyes. There's greeting. You, you actually feel like a friend. And so appreciation in a service culture, and a team culture and service environment, it's knowing exactly how to build those bridges with people. And when you've achieved that, it's just extraordinary. The, the loyalty you get, first of all, and the massive amount of referrals you get on the back of that. Yeah, now you mentioned the, your interviews. Now, I know uh, that you've done here, and I, in my notes here, you've completed over 750,000 end-user interviews. How long yeah. did that take you to do? That's going over 10 years now. Right. And and were they all qualitative or quantitative, or how did, what were, the, what were they, were they yeah, one-on-one? One well, over half a million of them are... Mm. Uh, all phone-based. 
Right. Okay. So, and, and, the, and the others were strategic. They were in other countries, so they were different. But the uh, the key thing is we, we want to talk to people on the phone mm. because then you can dialogue with people and you get to really understand how they you can hear the, you know you can hear emotion through the phone. And when you really for any business out there that's looking to survey the customers and get feedback, please do it on the phone. Don't send people emails because we're all sick of that. And emails will and text messages. I'll tell you what people think, but they'll never tell you why they think it. And if you get people on the phone and have a talk to them, you'll be able to understand why they feel the way they feel, whether it's good or bad. And, uh, and then you'll be able to act on it with more accuracy. And you mentioned it was it was a global research project? Or uh, for was... one of our clients, yeah, there's, there's like over 200,000 we've done for them, which is all around the world. And that's, that's quite a, uh, an in-depth process where it's back and forth. But the, uh, the, the things that I've written about in my book are based upon our, we have our own call team here in Melbourne. And it's based upon our phone-based research in Melbourne where we, we deal with companies that are, you know, the biggest one we do does over a billion in revenue and we do all the way down to the SME market. And the, um, the key to it is, and it's interesting, that out of all the, the interviews we've done, the thing that people remember the most is how the team supported them. They, if, they, if they talk about your products or your service as the number one reason, you don't have a heart connection to them. When they talk about friendly and helpful, understanding my needs, helpful and obliging, trust, communication, that's all about your people. And when they're the reasons why they're loyal or they're the reasons why they refer you, you've got a very strong connection to them. Now, a nice segue. Cool. To, it is. It is cool. It's great. I, I thought that was wonderful. I was about to ask you what the insights were, but I didn't need to because you shared that very generously. And it was a nice segue to your book, Daryl, the Client Revolution, uh, smashing the loyalty myth and having the edge. But you've also got your number one international bestseller was the Ten Commandments of Client Appreciation. Thou, thou shalt create loyalty. A step by step guide to number one position uh, and they're both really great that you go into much more detail from these end user interviews is that right that you use that as your inspiration as the basis for these books absolutely it's based on all the research we've done uh, the first one is more structural it's based around what companies need to do in their structure mm. and i do a lot of keynotes on this and i had uh, people say to me um around the team training and so on that you know we need this in a, in a book so hence the uh, the ten commandments are basically the the ten key uh, principles I cover, and the uh, the Ten Commandments around culture, around people, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your product is, unless you've got a great team of people, you're not going to have loyalty to it. People are everything. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, with your keynoting, I'm just curious: is there a a particular uh, popular theme or trend now that maybe it's shifted? So, five years ago, when you were speaking, you might have been speaking about if I wanted a customer service keynote. Now, it's sort of twisting a bit more towards culture or is there any sort of any th common threads or trends that you've noticed yeah look a lot of a lot of in marketing now it's all around the cx which is the customer experience or the ux the user experience um the one thing that that i think is it's just another fluffy name sometimes i'm a big believer that really high quality service and engagement with customers has, has never gone out of fashion and it never will. And one of the things that's interesting here is a lot of companies, they're, they're, they're saying their challenges are the online situation where people, you know, can buy it online, et cetera, et cetera. And it's 
making it harder and harder to um, to do business. However, we we have clients that have really nailed their service experience, and they're, they're having a boom time, and they're not discounting because we will all pay a little bit more for brilliant service. We'll, we want price if we're just getting what we pay for, which is satisfaction. But if you have a heartfelt appreciation for a business, you will pay a little bit more for that. And that's where the companies take the time to understand, first of all, what they stand for and what, they, what their customers really love them for, and then make sure their team understand that and they have a training process so that they can predictably deliver that. We pretty much won the game. And, and the key thing to this is what, what we always say is you must obsess over your customers, not over your competitors. Yeah. If you obsess over your customers and learn what they want and take the feedback and get out on the floor and speak with people, you'll really get to understand what they're looking for. But so many businesses are more obsessed on their competitors and what they're doing, they're losing focus on their own customers. You know what, Daryl? I would pay more for petrol if I could drive to a petrol station and someone put the petrol in the car for me, like they used to do in the good old days. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well... <laughs> I can remember that too, so that's just something, doesn't it? There you go, yeah. But you know what? I've done my own little, you know, uh, little research project, and particularly women. There's mm-hmm. every woman, women, I, women I speak to all say the same thing. They would pay extra, and uh, and the, the men, the men mightn't like, you know, mightn't mind the smell of petrol on your fingers, but it does my head in. And particularly yeah. if you're dressed up going somewhere and a bit drops on your shoe or something. So I'm just waiting for that to be disrupted again. But I think I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't think I, I should be holding my breath. Anyway, D- Daryl Hardidge, thank you so much for your time today. Your book, The Client Revolution: Smashing the Loyalty Myth. And having the edge and of course your number one international bestseller congratulations the 10 commandments of client appreciation i assume it's wherever you can buy books people can access those yes they can uh or they're on amazon which is Usually the easy way yeah, Amazon's the easy. Now, anyone that's been listening to you today, just to remind our listeners, we've been chatting with Daryl Hardidge. And if they want to follow you or come and see you, keynote and wonder what you're up to, what are the best uh, platforms? I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn. Yes, yes, on LinkedIn, and also uh, just just go to our website, security s a g u i t y dot com, and uh, we can easily get in touch from there. Fantastic! Thanks so much for your time today, Daryl. That's an absolute pleasure, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. As I pick the best brains in the business world, we'll take a short break right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the Adult PFM website, adultpfm.com.au, or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today, and we look forward to your company next Friday at 11 a.m. In the meantime... Keep taking care of your business.